This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, each and every night we are back together, the family. We are together as one. We have not been able to spend this much quality time together since, what, September? Right? Maybe early October, somewhere around there. Like we were still early on in last football season before the Rangers and Knicks decided to interrupt this good little camaraderie that we had. But, you know, we're getting it back. We're going to spend a lot of time with each other now, going into the summer and everything. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. Fan-freaking-tastic. Cannot wait. Uh, As always, you can get me on Twitter, at Dan Gross, at G-R-A-C-A. Ian Begley is going to join us in about a half an hour. He from SNY, the basketball insider. Talk a little Knickerbockers, what the summer could have in store as they try to process what happened in going out in six games to the Miami Heat and where they can look to upgrade the team and what maybe is realistic or feasible for upgrading this team. Um, we haven't gotten into the John Moran stuff yet. Let's do that now real quick here because when I woke up yesterday and I saw the story, I, I, I couldn't believe it actually. Like I understand that there are athletes, public figures – And I'm just, I mean, look, this happens in everyday life, as we know, but we only care about it because they're athletes and, you know, people that we cover. They go down a wrong road. They make a mistake. They ask for a mea culpa. They want forgiveness, and they get it, right? We are a forgiving society. We're a second-chance society. Sports, you name it, right? People have certainly authored reclamation tales, and there's nothing wrong with that. What surprises me about the John Moran situation is that I didn't expect, let's say, a relapse this quick. Because this one is actually, like, almost kind of unprecedented. Like, how often do you see a story involving a player, and in this case, John Moran, where he had the thing happen back in March, and he was suspended. He went away for, quote-unquote, counseling down at that place in Florida, which I would have loved to have seen what that place looks like. Sure, it was real tough. Sure, they're eating cheese sandwiches, right? Um, and then he did the interview with Jalen Rose, and he swore up and down that this was never going to happen again, and he learned his lesson. He's got to be better, blah, 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 blah. Well, geez, we did not even – think about it, boys and girls. We did not even get to the NBA Finals of the same season – before he couldn't wait to get his hands on a gun and display it publicly to all the world to see on Instagram Live. I just don't understand for the life of me. When somebody says the things that he said and he expressed contrition, seems sincere about it, why he'd be so eager to go against that? And, and look, there are, there are so many reasons why it's wrong. And so many things that he could potentially could cost himself. But to go down that path again as fast as he did is, is, is almost downright troubling, scary. Because if he did this so soon, who's to say what could happen next? Right? Who's to say what the next step is? And I think that when we sit here and try to digest and predict what the NBA is going to do and how they're going to respond because now the ball's in their court again, right? No pun intended. One thing that these leagues, and I'm talking about the NBA, the NFL, baseball, any of them, the one thing that they don't like 
is they don't like to be made to look like fools. And I think in this case, Adam Silver and the league have to feel that way by what happened with John Morant. Because Adam Silver sat down, looked John Morant in the eye, and expressed to him what is expected of an NBA player and what is not expected off the court. Privileged to be in the NBA. Privileged to be a professional athlete. Privileged to have the opportunity to make gazillions and gazillions of dollars. Remember, all the endorsements that he cost himself the first time around. That was because he's an NBA superstar. It's like the NBA should get a cut of that. All right, if he was just some kid at the playground, you know, and he was the best basketball player at the playground, he's not making, you know, tens of millions of dollars off a Nike, Powerade, you name it. The NBA is giving him this platform to be able to express his talents and to capitalize off of them. But it is a privilege. And now it seems like he's dead set on throwing that all out the window. Now, look, I cannot begin to sit here and say from a firsthand personal experience, I know what it's like to want to exhibit that type of behavior and to subscribe to that culture, apparently. Right? To where carrying a gun is cool. Flashing a gun is cool. You know? I, 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 for, I, that's not something that I subscribe to. So I don't have firsthand knowledge on that. All I know is is what is expected from a societal standpoint and what's not accepted. And at least in accordance with the NBA and the way that they want to run things, obviously we know that that's not accepted. And you know what? When you say and when I hear what cracked me up the first time around is that when you heard all of these other people and talking heads and whatnot try to come to his defense and say, you don't know what the pressure is like of being young and having all that money and having so many people trying to latch on to you and so many people trying to get at you and take what you have from you. You know, it's almost like a security blanket. I mean, that one was like the funniest one to me because, I mean, <laughs> it's like, geez, I can think of a guy who's playing right now, who's still playing right now, and he's like 40 years old, and he's – you know, only the face of this generation of basketball players and who's in the conversation as, you know, greatest of all time and who had more pressure on him than John Moran ever did to have to live up to expectations and who was marketed and who was under the microscope with every step that he took before he even walked on an NBA court. And, of course, we're talking about LeBron. You ever see LeBron do anything like this? You don't think he's got pressure and people trying to get at him? And all this other stuff, did he ever have to do things like this? How about the guy who was probably more popular than, than, than both of them in Michael Jordan? And as great as he was at his craft, arguably the greatest of all time. Michael Jordan ever do things like this? I mean, he had his vices, sure, but not something that would put other people at risk, much less himself. And it's gotten to the point now where, you know, the NBA, because they were put in a situation by the player to where they were made to look foolish, I would expect them to respond here. I don't know about swiftly, but I certainly expect it to be significant. Probably not going to see John Morant, I would say. Just throwing a guess out there, the first quarter of the season next year, right? So I would probably, if I'm guessing, hey, Ja, maybe we'll see you sometime in December. 
which means if that means something to him, you could forget about him winning an MVP or, or, or landing on any all-NBA teams because now the new rule, the new CBA, you got to play in 65 of those games. If they suspend him for 20, then there's no way he's playing 65 of them, which means that's going to cost him some money in, in, in incentive-laden deals in his contract. Those are worth millions to some of these guys if they land on all-NBA teams. Maybe that's a way to get the message across. I don't know. I mean, some people are sitting here saying, you know what? Suspend him for the year. If you really want to get the message across, what would get the message across? Here's the bottom line, though. If you suspended him for, like, even half a season or kept him away from the NBA for months and months and months and months, can you even count on this guy right now to be on his best behavior and to be remorseful and to stop hanging out with a crowd who clearly, 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 clearly the people in the crowd don't have John Morant's best interests in their heart. They only have their own because they're only hanging out with John Morant because of who he is, the money he's got, and the lifestyle that he lives that by being associated with him, they get to live as well. Any place they go, any trip they go on, anything they buy, Ja's picking up the tab. The people that he gets to roll with, they get to roll with. The places he gets to get into, they get to get into, and so on and so forth. That's not friendship, you know? That's not looking out for each other. Because what those guys have done in kind of promoting this type of lifestyle, they've cost all of their existences and all of their lifestyles possibly jeopardy. It's unbelievable. It really is. And the shame of it is you're talking about a dude who's got the world in the palm of his hands because of a God-given gift to play a sport. And he's this close to throwing it all away. And that's what's troubling. 800-919-3776. Grasso Show, till the top, right here on 9870 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. On Aaron Judge. But the good news is, is that like two pitches later, Judge hit one to uh, Nova Scotia. Second home run of the game. Boy, Judge is heating up, folks. Mid-May, Judge is heating up. He said, Knicks are done. Time for Judgey to get going. There you go. Look at that. Isn't that wonderful? Mets, meantime, haven't hit a home run. I think the last Met to hit a home run was Dave Kingman in the 70s. It's been so bad. Hi, go Mets. Yay. There ain't a lot of go Mets anymore. Sorry about that. Uh, 800-919-3776. That is the... Telephone number. Let's get back to the phone calls. A lot of people want to chime in here. Let's see. Blah, 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 blah. Richard in Manhattan is up next. Richard, good evening. How are you? Hi, Dan. Well, before I get to the basketball point, I wonder if Boone is going to use Marinaccio tonight. He used him one inning last night, ninth inning. Didn't have to. In the eighth inning, Weber came in six pitches. Got out in the inning. I don't you don't know. want to Why burn you? anybody you don't have to when it's 7 nothing in the eighth inning. You know what I mean? Just find somebody to get you six outs and live to see another day. Yeah. Well, they're, oh, so they're winning 7 nothing. Oh, they're winning 7 nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so they don't have to use Marinette. They're lucky. But I didn't think they had to use him yesterday if they would have let Weber pitch the ninth inning. He had pitched well in the eighth, six pitches, you know, and then he went to Marinaccio. And 13 pitches, I wondered if he would have used them today because I think Marinaccio is their best relief pitcher. Anyway, if Miami wins it, and I'd say they have a 20% chance of winning it, I give them 20%. 
and I give the uh, Lakers 20%, Denver I give 30%, and uh, Celtics I give 30% because they have the home court. But if Miami wins it, in my 60 years of watching NBA Finals, 60, 6-0, and I go back to Kuzi in 63, Miami will be the least likely team in those 60 years to win a championship. They've got one borderline superstar, and that's it. No way that, you know, and you can look at the Detroit Pistons here. They won it, but they had Billups, Chauncey Billups. They had Rashid Wallace. They had Ben Wallace. They had Tyron, Tayshaun Prince. They had some good ball players, not in a Hall of Famer types. I think Chauncey Billups is a Hall of Famer, but if not close to it. But still, and they were a good team. So they ben Wallace surprised. might get in when it's all said and done. I don't Who? know if he's in now. Ben Wallace might get in. Yeah, you may. But I'm, just, was, I'm you saying. Know, wasn't, he all, wasn't he the defensive player of the year? Like oh, yeah, he, he was a like very that. solid defensive player. But yeah. my, uh, Miami, if they got in, and to think an eight seed, not only an eight seed, and then they lost their first game in the play-in game, that'll change the whole way pe- people think of the NBA now. That now all we're saying is, oh, you need two superstars. You need two superstars. If Miami wins it, it'll change the way people think about the NBA. It really will. That's what I'm rooting for. And I always root for chaos. So Miami winning, it'll be. But well, there are a lot of storylines. You know I'll tell you this, Rich. You know what's funny? This this Final Four is the same Final Four that we had in the bubble a few years ago. And I look, I'll, I'll be the first one. I sat here and dumped on that final and even the Laker championship because I didn't think that it was as legit as a non-bubble title. You know, you don't have traveling. You don't have to go, you know, to a different arena where you're facing the opposing teams, you know, home court advantage and the fans and, you know, the wear and tear of just the playoff series, having to go back and forth. But fast forward a few years later, we got the same four teams. And I thought that that Miami team that was in the finals that lost to the Lakers in the bubble was as bad a team that ever made it to the NBA finals that I could remember. And now here they are, potentially four wins away from going right back. But you know what? Miami legitimized themselves a little bit here, right? I mean, this is their third trip to the conference finals in the last four years, bubble included. Spolstra's a hell. I'll tell you, Eric Spolstra is someone that probably has done more good for his legacy as an NBA head coach in the years since LeBron left than even when LeBron was there and they won championships. They haven't won a championship since. But I think that for those that needed maybe a little bit more to s- validation of Spolster and his credentials and his acumen and his exes and those and all that stuff, isn't that funny? that you could sit there and actually continue to build up your resume and and maybe give yourself more credibility despite not winning the top prize. Because remember, that was a no-win situation when those guys were together down there. It was either you win a championship or it was a failure. And they only won two down there and then came damn fortunate to win one of them because, you know, Ray Allen had to make a three-pointer in game six against San Antonio, and if Popovich wasn't asleep at the wheel and didn't have Tim Duncan on the bench in that sequence to actually have him out there to grab a rebound. Maybe that doesn't even happen. And then Miami only gets one championship while those guys were together. Uh, bu- 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 bu. Jose in Newark up next, 98.7 ESPN. What's up, Jose? How are you? I'm good, brother. How are you doing? Jose, good to hear from you. What's going on? Good. So um, if I had to put a theme on the Knicks uh, season, I'll say count your blessings. I'm very proud of them. I know the initial shock and the disappointment of losing that game. Everyone wanted a game seven. 
But in looking at everything and what the expectations were early in the season, I couldn't be happier. You know, you could be Philly where you have two superstars and neither one showed up in a game seven. You could be one of the two. You could have one of the two draft picks before Barrett and see the problems that they're having and what those franchises, the type of decisions they have to make. And if I have to look at all that in its entirety, I'm completely happy with the type of culture that we're building and the type of players that we have. They're blue-collar. They work. They get it. There seems to be a good culture there. We have a, a player that we consider our superstar who actually played every second of that game, even in a losing effort. So I just wanted to say that. And I don't, I, you know, I haven't been able to listen much today. But, you know, if, if Nick fans really look at things from a, from a standpoint of just 2020 vision, you should be happy about this team and be excited about the future because um, apparently there's a lot worse that could happen, even if you have these so-called superstars. One thinks he's in Call of Duty and can't put the ratchet away, and the other one has the worst hamstring in the history of hamstring injuries. So I'm extremely happy with who they are, and, and I'm very excited to see where they'll they'll become in the very near future. I'm, I'm an extremely happy Knicks fan right now. Jose, you should be. Jose, you should be, and I thank you for the phone call. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that is, in my opinion, and I could be biased, that to me is the only way you can look at this thing. Because nobody in their right mind, at least of sound mind, would have thought that the Knicks were a championship-caliber team this year. As, as I started the show off, it seems like hours ago, what did we discuss? Beginning of the season, you would have signed up for... Going to the playoffs, maybe winning a round. And if they won a round, you'd throw a parade. And you could see that the stepping stones were in place to continue to build this thing to ultimately where you want to go. And they did that. And they did that by beating the team rather easily in Cleveland that also had the player that you coveted last summer and thought you were going to get in Donovan Mitchell. And by the way, don't put this all on Mitchell, not that we have to, but he wanted to come here. You know, that's why like all the fans that do the stuff outside the garden, like, no, Mitchell wanted to come here. And you know what else we haven't talked about, too, because it happened later in the week as well? It's a shame, isn't it, that things didn't work out in Phoenix with Kevin Durant? Isn't it a shame? Did it make you kind of feel all kind of empty inside? That the guy who wanted out of Brooklyn because he didn't think he could win there Right. And he, re- he wanted to go to a team that he thought he could win a championship, you know, ride in on the coattails of guys like Booker and Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton. Well, a funny thing happened along the way. DeAndre Ayton disappeared. I mean, that was shameful, his performance. Chris Paul got hurt again. And Kevin Durant and Devin Booker were unable to deliver that team to a championship. Hell, couldn't even deliver them to the conference finals and got obliterated. And which I don't understand, but you know what? Unfortunately, this happens in sports when you change owners. Monty Williams' job is ultimately what the price was. This is a guy who's coach of the year two times. It, it's just it, the turnover in the coaching profession is just amazing to me. In some sports more so than others, but like I, I, I can remember two summers ago in 21. Remember it was late season that year because the this, this calendar still wasn't all lined up because we were coming off the COVID year and everything. So the NBA finals that year actually like were played in July, which is later, obviously, than it is normally. I can remember sitting at a nice restaurant in the city and then over up by the bar, they had the NBA finals on and it was Phoenix and it was, it was Milwaukee. 
And if you would have told me that night that two years later, both of the coaches in that series, including the guy who won the damn thing, are both out of a job, I mean, like, huh? Right? I mean, like, huh? And apparently, like, Milwaukee has eyes for Monty Williams, according to the latest reports. So they, they beat the guy two years ago, and now, fast forward, they can't wait to hire him and have him coach their team. I'm not saying that it's a good move or a bad move, but it's just it, it's crazy the way this thing all unfolds. Coaches have, like, zero job security, no matter what the hell you do. None. But, yeah, I mean... I, from what I gathered and just speaking to some people over the last couple of days, I think Kevin Durant is already putting out feelers, him and his guys, to see if he could work out a trade as soon as the finals are done to one of these teams that are still playing now. You know how KD is. He likes to take the, uh, you know, the path, not exactly the path least traveled, as we know, and join up with some guys and some teams that, you know, have a nice shot to win it. So who better than the team that knocked them out in Denver? Maybe the Lakers, maybe come back east, maybe, you know, put on the, the, the Shamrock and the Celtics just to give them another chance of winning a championship. I'll tell you, that made me happy. Not to see Monty Williams lose his job. He's a good dude and a good coach, and he'll land on his feet. But just to see that whole thing burn to the ground in Phoenix, I thought that was kind of humorous, you know, apropos, if you will. And I even tweeted it out, too. So Kevin Durant, think about it. He was on two teams in one season, and both of those teams' head coaches got fired while he was a part of the organization. And you know, despite what they tell you, that they had to run that by him. Steve Nash got bagged in Brooklyn. Monty Williams got bagged in Phoenix. You know they ran that by the desk of Kevin Durant. When we come back, we're going to run a few questions by the desk of Ian Begley. SNY basketball analyst extraordinaire. Dan Gross' show, we roll to the top, then it's Gordon right here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. Basketball analyst from SNY. He also was the host of a very popular series on SNY.TV called The Putback. He is my good friend Ian Begley. Begs, how we doing, buddy? Dan, you're too kind, my friend. I'm good. How are you? Doing outstanding. Probably a little bit better than the Knicks are, but, you know, that's a good place to start. You know, when you look back on everything this team accomplished, winning around in the playoffs, you know, giving Miami pretty much all they can handful or all they can handle, a couple of games from the conference finals, you would have to think nothing but a success when you look back on what they accomplished this season, no? Yeah, to me, big picture, absolutely. I mean, going into this year, I thought, maybe 40 wins, and when they started the year 10 and 13, look, I've said it a lot. I think there were a couple of losses away from significant changes, coaching change or, or maybe executive change. So uh, there were a couple of losses away from detonation, and Tom Thibodeau switches the rotation, nine-man rotation. They reel off a bunch of wins, and everybody knows what happened from there. And so I didn't have them go into the second round. I didn't have them two wins away from the conference final. So big picture since absolutely a successful season in my mind for the Knicks in 2022-2023. Uh, and not only just what this team achieved, let's look at it from an individual standpoint as well, because Jalen Brunson was the big ticket last offseason. We saw how he flashed in the playoffs with Dallas last year. 
But because of the star-crossed history of this franchise, there was still a little bit of that doubt, right, that, oh, is this really going to work out the way the Knicks wanted to? But to say that he exceeded expectations, I, I think would be putting it mildly. I mean, this guy, forget about the Knicks. I've been saying it pretty much all year, Ian. This guy might go down if he continues at this rate as one of the best free agent signings in New York sports history when it's all said and done. Man, that would be a fun list. I think, Dan, oh, yeah. you, you can't really – you can't uh, overstate how good he's been and how much he beat expectations. I mean, no one – I would say – I say no one. It's not no one. There's no one outside of himself, Tom Thibodeau, probably his father, or definitely his father, Rick Brunson, uh, Leon, Leon Rose, William Wesley, Scott Perry, and, and the group probably expected this from Jalen Brunson. I mean, it's just, he blew away everyone's expectations. We were talking about this contract as an overpay last yep. offseason. And now it's probably one of the best in the NBA. So just remarkable, remarkable season. Knicks can finally feel good about the point guard position, uh, can have stability at the point guard position, something that they haven't had prior to this in like 20 years. So, yeah, fantastic signing, uh, fantastic play from Jalen Brunson. Do, do, do you think, even though seniority is not in his favor because he's only been on the team for a year, and that includes guys who have been here already before him, somebody who maybe even be of greater stature league-wise as a player but would be new to the team, do you think this has become Jalen Brunson's team? You know, I think if you asked him, he probably laughed at the question because he always talks about this year at least leading in his own way, in a way that he just tries to connect with guys uh, on the court, off the court, seemingly in kind of an understated way, and then leading by example uh, by the work that he puts in day in and day out. So I think that he would he would kind of chuckle at that title, just being quote unquote his team, but it is because of the position he plays because of the way that he played it this season and because of how you look at things going forward. I mean, you could say that no one in the NBA is, is or very few players in the NBA are untouchable. Right now, I would say uh, that Jalen Brunson on the Knicks is untradeable. And you can't say that about many players, and there's many reasons for that, but that just tells you about his status with this organization and where he can propel this organization during the lifetime of his contract. I think you're right about that, and it's just incredible. You know, when was the last time we could say that in regards to a Knicks player having that type of stature? But I think you're absolutely right. We're talking to Ian Begley of SNY here on 98.7 ESPN. How do you rationalize, now that the dust is settled, how do you rationalize the season, and of course you throw in the postseason, of Julius Randle? Yeah, you know what? You take it, if you take it in totality, you can't ignore what he did in the regular season. First of all, played 77 games, only missed a few at the end because of an ankle injury. So he brought it. He, he was healthy, and availability is the most important statistic, in my mind, in the NBA for top players. He was there every day, and that says a lot about how he takes care of his body. And then you look at the postseason, right? So he comes in with the ankle injury, rushes back for game one. And this is not me making excuses for him. I'm just telling you kind of how mm -hmm. it unplayed, sure. uh, played out. Uh rushes back for game one, uh, re-injures the ankle, and I thought he'd be out for a while. He comes back and uh, makes it back for the next series. And so he wouldn't talk about how the ankle impacted him, if it compromised him at all, but I have to think it did to a degree. 
but, but listen, that doesn't excuse like what you saw on slow closeouts, slow rotations, no rotation on defense in, in some of those games and some of those possessions. But then there were other possessions, other games where he was he was moving and he was getting out to shooters and he was rotating. So that part's perplexing to me. I can't, I don't know really the why there or the what there uh, aside from the ankle injury. But it, you know, you also saw him after the ankle injury cut and move quickly uh, on the defensive end. So it's perplexing. So I guess in summation, uh, he gave you everything you could have wanted, I think, in the regular season, and then he left you with a lot of question marks uh, after this postseason. All right, so, I mean, based on how this roster is currently comprised, it's not a championship roster. It's good, but it's certainly not at that elite level yet. You figure they're going to go out and going to try to upgrade the talent in the offseason. Realistically, what do you think likely targets would be for this team? And, you know, at what price should we say as well? Well, look, I think that certainly they're going to have to do better, right? That's the, that's, that's the name of the game, uh, especially when you're on this kind of upward trajectory. You can't stay flat. You certainly, I don't think, can take a step backwards because we already saw them make the playoffs and then take a step backwards a couple of years ago. So certainly they're going to look up the roster. I think there are going to be opportunities in the trade market for them to pursue, and we know that they have the assets to be in those conversations, maybe be at the head of those conversations with the draft picks that they have. I think it's 11 over the next six years. And also, you talked about it before, Dan, the Emmanuel Quickleys, the R.J. Barrett's, uh, the Quentin Grimes's, I think those players, with the way they played Mitchell Robinson too, um, only increased their value like league-wide, how, how other teams look at them. So maybe we were talking last offseason about these guys in a Donovan Mitchell trade and their value was at a certain level. I think it's only picked up after the season that they've had. So when you look at the trade market and you look at what the Knicks have to offer, I think that, that the value of what they can offer is very high. Now it's about who is going to be available. You know, there's right. going to be whispers about Carl Anthony Towns because the Timberwolves, you know, did not play their expectations after the Gobert deal. And it looks like that should be Anthony Edwards uh, in the top spot at that team with that team for years to come. So there's going to be at least rumblings there. And then Philadelphia, James Harden, he goes to Houston. What does Joel Embiid feel like about his future there? And Embiid and Towns both repped formally by McTeam president Leon Rose. So there's going to be the opportunity for them to get in conversations on players like that, maybe Jalen Brown in Boston, depending on how things play out there. And it's just a matter of their comfort level with the fit and their comfort level with the price. I also think, Look, they had a, you know, they touched base with Chicago around the trade deadline about Zach Levine. I think those conversations could rekindle as well, depending on what direction Chicago wants to go in. And then there's always Bradley Bill, right? You know, Washington, new team president, GM. We don't know what it's going to be yet, but if they're committed to Kyle Kuzma and they extend Kristaps Porzingis, I would assume that at some point you say to yourself, well, Bradley Bill, it doesn't all fit, so what are we doing here? So there's a lot of a lot of potential moving parts, and again, they have the assets to be right there when those conversations do happen. Interesting, and it's going to be a fun summer, certainly, with all the possibilities, and we're going to spend plenty of time talking about it. Lastly, do you think there's a scenario where Josh Hart could potentially price himself out of New York? No, no, I no, I don't think so. <laughs> Short answer, no. Uh, 
bigger, long-term answer, longer answer, excuse me, is they'll get a deal done. It'll be a multi-year deal. It'll, it'll be, I don't know what the number will be, but it'll be, you know, a fair market. Uh, he's, he's earned, in my mind, the deal based on how he impacted this team after getting moved here. And, again, CAA, I don't want to make too much of the CAA connection. Cause I no, but it's, it's a big. little bit unfair, but it's there. And it, and it does, does play a factor just in terms of familiarity. And so Leon Rose knows Josh Hart because, you know, Josh Hart has been a, a CAA client for a long time. So I think the comfort level on both sides is there. It's a matter of getting to a length and getting to a number and putting pen to paper. It's all going to be a good time here pretty soon. Ian, great stuff as always, my friend. We'll be checking you out on SNY.TV, the putback, the whole nine yards. We'll catch up soon, my friend, but always appreciate a couple of minutes. Hey, Dan, always great to be with you, man. Take care. All right, you'll be good. There's Ian Begley, SNY TV basketball analyst. We come back. We'll finish it out with you on the phones and a couple of NFL tidbits, one involving the Jets, one involving um, well, greed, put it simply. Dan Gross' show, 98.7 ESPN.